that uh texas quarterback what's that kid's name i don't know we're back what was that kid's name uh texas qb we're back sam ellinger that's right anyways <laughs> we're back here we are episode 71 Huh. Since we've last talked. It's been, well, technically six days as we sit here on the evening of November 5th, 2023. In the same sort of spot that we are normally in when we record our episodes. We usually have one game remaining on the NFL weekly schedule, typically Monday night. We typically record on Monday at some point, but now we're out on Sunday night. Wanted to get an instant reaction. Felt like there was a lot, felt like there was a lot going on this week in football that I wanted to talk about. Also, we'll talk about the Rangers winning the World Series. Congratulations, of course, to the Texas Rangers, but... That'll also be on our We Know Baseball podcast. Haven't put an episode on there in a decent amount of time. So we'll talk just We Know Baseball on that show. Just baseball. Talk free agency and MLB. All the different things that go on with baseball. And we'll cover the Rangers here shortly. Actually, we'll cover them here at the beginning. And then we'll get into the football. We always cover football. We always cover the college football slate. Then the NFL slate, talk about the storylines, the rankings, and everything in between. First, we'll go into baseball. All right, we'll go into the Rangers. So, Texas Rangers 2023 World Series champions. Congratulations to the Texas Rangers. A lot was made about the World Series ratings. The numbers are down. Historically, one of the least watched World Series in recent history. Rangers and Diamondbacks. Uh, here's some follow-up questions on that. Number one, what did you expect? The Diamondbacks have a very regionally located fan base. They're not a nationally renowned team. Diamondbacks don't have fans on the East Coast at all, let alone probably the West Coast. And I mean like the actual Western Coast of the United States. They have fans in Arizona, of course, maybe in the surrounding areas, maybe in Nevada, maybe Utah, New Mexico, maybe. But they're not going to get a lot of turnout, just overall. The Rangers were, believe it or not, a big market team in terms of how much they spent on their payroll, but they're also not a nationally renowned team. On top of that, the East Coast sports fans were not going to pay attention to this World Series. And I don't necessarily blame them. There's no Yankees, no Mets, no Phillies, no Orioles, no Red Sox, no Cubs, right? No Dodgers. There's some incredibly talented players on both teams. Some amazing players on both teams. Corey Seager, I would consider to be a superstar. 
Marcus Simeon, borderline superstar. Big names, sorta. Max Scherzer, not a huge contributor. But to those who, well, I'll say this first. Major League Baseball had a big uptick in attendance this year. Pretty big uptick. At least they claim. And I think that's in part of this, the new speed, the pace of play, right? Everything that's gone on in the new rules with, with Major League Baseball. Games are moving quicker, more action, more, more stolen bases with yada, yada, yada. Okay. I'm not sure I buy that, if I'm being honest with you. I just, I'm not sure I buy it. Uh, but also, when you end up with a World Series between two teams that are a direct outcome of the new rule changes implemented in baseball, neither team is on the East Coast. One team is a recent expansion franchise, and another one is regionally located in a state that already has another baseball team that just won the World Series. Combined with three of the five games in the World Series taking place at the exact same time as a primetime football game, whether that be Sunday night football, Monday night football, Thursday night football, you know, Saturday, college, whatever the case may be. There's primetime football going on in three of the five games of this World Series. Mix all of it together, and your outcome is going to be exactly what happened with the ratings in the World Series. Oh, we have all-time low ratings. Only this many people watched the was this many this. Um, okay. I don't really think there's much to make of that. People are freaking out about it. People are like, oh, baseball, this and that. It's pretty that would be pretty much exactly what I expected. Oh, World Series ratings tanked. No one watched. Two regional teams. One team is a recent expansion franchise. Another team is in the same state as the team that just won the World Series. Not on the East Coast. Not on the big market West Coast cities. In fact, they took down a lot of those big market teams on the way to the World Series by capitalizing and playing the style of baseball that's now being encouraged with the new rules. And then we get to the World Series. We play three of the five games at the exact same time as primetime football, which always dominates American television. And low ratings is pretty much exactly what I expected from that World Series. I thought it was pretty entertaining. The new pace of play... Didn't really allow for the games to like go by slower with like big moments or like guys stepping out. Like didn't really have a ton of that, but also had some amazing electric moments. Uh, it also had a bit of a mismatch. Uh, the Diamondbacks got hot at the right time, took down the Phillies in seven games, capitalized on stolen bases and balls in play and fewer strikeouts, had some pitchers just go absolutely nuclear. And then they ran into the Rangers, who are probably the deepest or second deepest lineup in all of Major League Baseball. Lost Scherzer and Adolis Garcia for two games in the World Series, and it just didn't matter. Corey Seager turned into Barry Bonds, and the Rangers won in five. It was a little bit uneventful, exactly what I expected, all the way around from the World Series. Anybody who thought or expected differently didn't really know much about baseball coming into it. Oh my gosh. Low, low ratings. What are we going to do? Nothing. Nothing. We're going to do nothing. And those teams made it. The Diamondbacks were a good team. Had no business being in the World Series. And they come matched up against the Rangers, who were the best team, at least in my opinion, in the American League all year, just in terms of well-rounded contributions. I know other teams have better records. I get that. I think the Rangers were better than the Orioles. I think the Rangers were better than Tampa Bay. Better than the Astros. And it showed. And then it got down to crunch time, and they played an inexperienced team, inexperienced manager, and they beat them in five with low ratings, with games that played on Saturday night, Sunday night, and Monday night during football season. 
exactly what I expected. So let's not make a lot of that. But congratulations to the Texas Rangers. Congratulations. The Rangers are world champions. Bruce Bochy is a world champion. Uh, Corey Seager is, an, is a f- world champion. Marcus Simeon. All these guys. Congratulations. Well-deserved. Those guys played their butts off all year long and in the postseason. Absolutely locked it in, dialed it in. And um, I think I think there are so many different things that the rest of baseball can take away from the Texas Rangers and how they got to the World Series title. And number one, you always have to have big time free agents. You can't just build every single piece of your roster from your farm system. You can build a lot of it. You can develop. You can draft. You can be the best drafting and developing team. You still have to supplement with big time, big time free agents. (laughs) Orioles. Number two, you have to make trades at the right time for the right guys. Didn't have enough bullpen depth. Traded for a role as Chapman a month before the trade deadline. Starting pitching, a little shaky. Max Scherz is available. Go out and get him. Jordan Montgomery's available. Go out and get him. Perfect. 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 Perfect trades. Also, we've got a bunch of young, homegrown guys on our roster. We developed them, had a perfect mix, a perfect bowl of soup every ingredient you would want in a world champion topped with a little dri- a little sprinkle of an incredibly experienced calm cool collected presence in the dugout with Bruce Bochy managing that team perfect perfect combination if i'm building a team moving forward it's exactly how i want to do it i want to draft I want to develop and I want to call up a good amount of young, controllable talent. Then I want to go out and sign a a bunch of big horses to carry the lineup if some of the other guys in the lineup aren't producing at a high level. Guys I can rely on, guys I can look up to, guys I can count on. And then, even at that point, you're not going to hit on every prospect. You're not going to hit on every free agent. You're going to have holes in some part of your team or you're going to have places where you could probably improve. And you go to the trade market, you target those guys, and you get them. And you don't hesitate. You pull the trigger. You know the Scherzer deal with the Mets? Rangers might have overpaid. Gave up some pretty darn good, pretty darn good prospects. But if the Rangers don't have Max Scherzer, I'm not sure they win the World Series. I know he wasn't a massive contributor, but the veteran presence by himself and the name itself was, I think, just as important. Homegrown talent, free agent signings, trade acquisitions, and you have to be led by somebody who knows how to lead a group of men. And then, I think the best part about the Rangers, the best part, in my opinion, forget about Corey Seager, forget about Bruce Bochy, forget about Scherzer, Montgomery, Adolis Garcia, all of them. Forget about everything. What stood out to me, honestly, the most about the Rangers and their deep run in the postseason is that at no point did I feel like they were executing a game plan that was predetermined by an algorithm or a computer. We saw it with Blake Snell and the Rays in the World Series. We saw it uh, earlier in the postseason. Uh, Who was it that got pulled? Oh. Yeah, we saw it earlier in this postseason when the Blue Jays pulled Jose Barrios after three dominant innings because, oh, we need to bring the lefty into the... Listen, numbers are important. They're really important, actually. Uh, They can assign and assess lots of different value and metrics to different players to help people understand how good certain guys actually are. I understand that. But when you got Bruce Bochy managing and you don't overanalyze stuff, and you don't rely solely on numbers, <clears throat> raise. Uh, you realize like, oh, well, you know, ideally this guy 
first time through the lineup, he's pretty good. But the second time he starts to struggle, especially when he gets down to like four, five, six, second time. So we're only going to get, you know, we can only get like 12, 14 outs out of it. If he's throwing five shutout innings and he has 72 pitches and he has seven strikeouts, leave him in the game. He's pitching really well. And then if he goes out, walks a guy, gives up a hit, walks another guy. Yeah, let's get somebody loose. Of course, every game situation, one run game, three run game, five run game. It's all different. It all changes. The bottom line is Bruce Bogey has been there and done that. And the Rangers said, hey, Bruce, we're going to assemble a roster. Analytically speaking, this is probably the best way to play these guys. But we also trust your judgment. And we trust your feel. And we trust your ability to analyze and understand the human aspect of what baseball is all about. And the Rangers, ultimately, the Rangers prevailed because they mixed all of that together perfectly. A lot of other teams had a ton of dudes, just monsters, dudes. Some of them, no shows in the playoffs. You know what? That happens. Dodgers and Braves. Some of them relied too much on the home run ball. Phillies, Astros to an extent. Twins. Some of them overanalyzed. Some of them tried to play the game with the computer. Blue Jays, Tampa Bay. Some of them just didn't have enough experience and will probably be back at some point. Orioles, Marlins, it happens. But when you get everything almost perfectly right, when you assemble a roster and trade acquisitions and managerial hires, you get the Texas Rangers in 2023. World champs, that's it. Every other team in the league, Take a step back, take notes, figure out how to assemble a system, a well-oiled machine like the Texas Rangers in 2023. Congrats to the Rangers, man. Seriously. First World Series championship in franchise history. Been around for decades. They deserve it. They played great ball all year. Came through in the clutch in the postseason. That's what happens. All right. That's baseball. Congrats to the Rangers. Again, if you want to hear more about baseball, head over to We Know Baseball, our baseball only show. That'll be me on there talking about the Rangers more, talking about um, free agency, different managerial vacancies, lots of stuff to talk about in baseball. So go check it out, guys, if you have it. Uh, but uh, yeah, Rangers win, win the World Series. Congrats. Uh, moving on to football, man. Football, football, football. Week 10, college football, over with. Week 9 in the NFL, minus one game, over with. Go through the scoreboard, talk about the storylines. Let's get into it. Uh, in college football, we go from the top number one team down, down the scoreboard all the way through. And... We go numerically from number one all the way down to number five. And then a lot of times we go over the new rankings, but uh, college football playoff gives out their rankings every Tuesday. So won't be able to do that. No big deal. We'll get into it. Number one, Ohio State played against Rutgers, beat them 35 to 16. Um, Ohio State was losing nine to seven at halftime. Why? How? I don't know. I know there's four quarters in a football game. In my opinion, Ohio State hasn't shown me that they are that team this year. Number one. Number one team in the country. I know they beat Notre Dame. I know they beat Penn State. But neither of those teams look like a threat to anybody at all either. I know those teams were ranked high when Ohio State beat them. But honestly, as the season continues to unfold... That Notre Dame win for Ohio State looks less and less impressive. Same with Penn State. Now, I'm not sure if there's any other teams that are significantly better than Ohio State, and I guess resume for them is 
probably strong enough to put them at number one. I don't think Ohio State is the best team in the country. So having them at number one, it's a little bit tough for me. But I guess we'll find out when they got to play Michigan or they play anybody else tougher if they get into the playoff. Number two, Georgia beat Missouri 30 to 21. Again, Georgia, same story as Ohio State. They're good. I don't know if Georgia is the Georgia of old. They've kept so many games against such supposedly inferior opponents. Teams that are supposed to be so much worse than Georgia, they keep these games so tight. So tight. And that's all you have in college football. When you're talking about, oh, like, who's better? Who's ranked higher? Well, you know, if Georgia was winning every game by 50, they would have never gotten bumped out from number one. But they did because these teams and, you know, the voters are like, Georgia's not kind of underwhelming. Uh, number three, sorry, number two, Georgia beat number 12, Missouri. So that is a top, top 25 win for Georgia. Uh, but Missouri, yeah, adios. Thanks for coming out. Uh, Michigan. Number three, Purdue unranked Michigan beat them 41 to 13. In my opinion, I think Michigan has looked like the best team just because they've killed everybody they played, which is what you want to see. And again, I think we'll find out when they play each other, Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, but ultimately, I think Michigan's the best team, but they handle business. They beat Purdue 41 to 13. Uh, number four, Florida State beats unranked Pitt 24 to 7. Florida State, decent. I don't know how good. Not bad, though. Uh, top 25 game, Washington, number five, takes down number 20, USC. What's the takeaway from that game? I'll tell you right now. USC isn't and was never a good football team this year. Washington. If Washington gets into the college football playoff, which if they go undefeated the rest of the way, they will get in because they're going to overtake either Michigan or Ohio State who are both above them. So Washington, all you got to do is win out and you'll get into the playoff. The problem with that is that if Washington plays Michigan or plays Ohio State or plays Georgia or even Florida State or Alabama or Ole Miss, If Washington played any of those teams, they would absolutely lose. And it depends by how much. If Washington played at number five right now, right? They're nine and oh, they're six and oh in the Pac-12. If they went out, if Washington, if the Washington Huskies went out, they'll be in the college football playoff. And if they get matched up against Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Alabama, Ole Miss, Texas, they will get ran off the field, boat raced, because they don't play defense. Defense doesn't exist at the University of Washington. It never has, hasn't all year. They don't tackle. They don't get after the quarterback. There's no presence on the line of scrimmage. Their DBs are burned consistently. And when they play that same type of defense against all those teams that are way better than them, that I listed off, they're going to give up 40. And then they're going to play against actual defenses at Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama. And they're not going to score 50 points like they do every week. And luckily, the 12-team playoff is going to take care of this dilemma. But I'm really, I'm really tired of the main argument for putting teams in the college football playoff being that, oh, they deserve it. They deserve to be in. Washington, they're 9-0. They're 6-0 in the Pac-12. They beat Oregon. 
I lost a game. Watch them play and watch Alabama play. Watch Washington and watch Michigan. Washington would get destroyed by any of the top four right now and Texas, Alabama, Ole Miss, probably Utah. Well, they beat, I think they beat Utah, but Utah doesn't have Cam Rising, and that's a big loss. But any of the top four teams above Washington would boat race them. Alabama would beat them. Texas would beat them. Ole Miss would beat them. But they deserve it. I'm so sick of it, dude. I'm so sick of it. And honestly, it's looking like Washington will probably get into the college football playoff. And man, what a waste of a game that's going to be. Because in my opinion, let's say, hypothetically, Michigan beats Ohio State. So the top four is Michigan, Georgia, Florida State, and Washington. That's the top four. If Washington has to play Michigan, they will lose by 35 points. And like I said, luckily the 12-team playoff will eliminate this issue and they'll get the top 12 teams in. And then we'll really see exactly what I'm talking about because then the teams like Oregon and Washington and whatever will get in and they'll get destroyed. But this year it sucks because we're going to get robbed of an opportunity to see the actual four best teams if Washington gets in because they deserved it with their record. There has to be more to it from a college football playoff committee standpoint than just, oh, they're undefeated in a Power 5 conference. Has to be more than that. If they won every game by one point and gave up 50 points a game, a.k.a. kind of Washington, that's not a good football team, in my opinion. That's a good offense playing in a conference that doesn't play defense. That's not a good football team. I don't hate Washington. I don't think they're bad. I don't think they're the worst team ever. I don't think they're completely worthless, but I don't think they're top four. I don't think they're top five. I'm not sure if they're a top 10 team. It's no disrespect. I just, I've seen this movie before. I've seen it before. I've watched it unfold. Here comes the undefeated Pac-12 team into the college football playoff. Here they come. Here they have, uh, they play Alabama, play Ohio State. Roasted, just destroyed, just killed. It's never a game. And I like to watch fun, good, competitive college football, especially in the college football playoff when it's supposedly the top four best teams in the country. It's not going to be if Washington gets in. It's not. That's the first storyline, by the way. That's not, even the, that's not even the full story of this USC game. So Washington beats USC. USC is now 7-3. and three. They have three losses. They're five and two in the Pac-12. Their defensive coordinator was fired yesterday. Um, and I think... The biggest storyline to me out of this game is that USC loses. And I think Caleb Williams ultimately did himself a massive, massive disservice with the entire spectacle of what has happened this season and also how he handled himself after that game. Yes, he was seen crying, jumped up in the stands to his family. Of course, everyone's a competitor. Everyone wants to do well. Everyone wants to win. But here's just a quick newsflash for Caleb Williams and a lot of star athletes that don't know how to handle adversity. You're not going to win every game. A lot of times, you're going to lose a lot of games. 
And yet Caleb Williams has been trying really hard, has been playing pretty good. But first of all, there's a there's a time and a place. If you want to have an all-out emotional release, I've seen it happen before. I've seen it firsthand. Time and place is not in front of thousands of people in front of cameras on national television. And the, the talks on social media, oh my gosh, and this and that, what are the NFLs? And they're saying, oh, NFL scouts, and oh, I talked to this scout. He says, it doesn't affect where we're drafting him. He's just a competitor. If you think Caleb Williams crying in the stands with his mom doesn't affect his draft status and where he's going to get taken in next year's draft, you don't know anything about these NFL guys. You don't know anything. When Bryce Young lost the second game of the year last season to LSU. Did anybody see him crying? When Joe Burrow was at Ohio State and wasn't playing well, or even at LSU in the early parts of his LSU career, and the team wasn't playing well. Did anybody see him crying? Were the quotes from Caleb Williams after the game? Again, we've all been there. But when asked about what he wants to do or, or what, what he's feeling, after this loss, and he says, I want to just go home and cuddle up with my puppies. I I just don't really think many guys in the NFL are going to love playing with that guy. He's really athletically talented. He's got a great arm. He's got good potential. But clearly, he has never dealt with any actual serious levels of adversity in his entire life. He went to Oklahoma, came in as a freshman, almost immediately played over Spencer Rattler. And then just transferred because his coach did. And that all that stuff is is it, it's whatever. But if you ask NFL executives and scouts why they decided to go with Bryce Young over CJ Shroud or just why they liked Bryce Young so much or why he went first overall, most of them would tell you it's not just because of how good he was as a quarterback, but it's also how he led his team, his body language, how he carried himself, and how he handled adversity. Caleb Williams and the way he's chosen to handle adversity, the body language he's shown on the sideline, however frustrating it may be to be playing on a team that gives up 50 points a game, which is totally understandable, you can't act that way and expect it to not at least impact your draft status in this year's NFL draft. Because it's going to. Do I think Caleb Williams would go first overall? You know, probably. He's going to go to the combine. He's going to do a bunch of crazy, stupid athletic things. He's going to throw the ball 70 yards and run fast and whatever. He has all the tools. But a lot of times, if you want a good quarterback, it's not just about what you can do physically. And to me, Caleb Williams has shown that when push comes to shove and it comes down to playing a tough team, a tough defense, any adversity at all, he really has not responded almost blanketly at all played Notre Dame good luck good defense on the road folded played Washington yeah you know what they gave up 50 points but you know what Caleb you got to score 50 50 as well to keep up and he didn't and then he runs off the field 
to his mama, jumps in the crowd and starts crying. I, I don't love that. I just don't love it. I understand it's an emotional release. I understand it's incredibly frustrating. I understand everyone's competing. He's a competitor. He's this and this and this and that. Yeah, okay. So was Bryce Young. So was Joe Burrow. So was everybody. And I didn't see any of them crying, man. We're talking about how they're going to go home and cuddle with their puppies. It's, I just don't think it's a great look for Caleb. I mean, and this is the same guy who's been rumored about how he won't come out if it's certain teams that have the ability to draft him first overall. Or same guy who's saying, I want equity in the team if you draft me first overall. It's a little bit wild to me. And I think Caleb Williams is physically talented. Mentally, he's not a first-round pick. Sorry. Mentally, he's not a first-overall pick. I don't think it's really even close. And I'm not sure who would be. Depends on the draft. Depends who's available. But not a good look for him. Not a good look for his future, his draft status with the antics after the Washington game. It's not a good look. Number six, Oregon played Cal, beat them 63 to 19. Number seven, Texas played number 23, Kansas State, beat them 33 to 30 in overtime. Kansas State choked that game away. Um, Number 22, Oklahoma State. I'm jumping there because they played number nine, Oklahoma. In the final Bedlam game, uh, Oklahoma State beat them 27 to 24. So Oklahoma at number nine now has two losses in both the Big 12 and overall. Oklahoma State has two losses, but one, they're five and one in the Big 12. So they overtake Oklahoma. Oklahoma's toast, done. Nah, it was never a good team. Somehow they beat Texas. I don't know. Uh, number 10, Ole Miss beat Texas A&M 38 35. Pretty tight football game there. Ole Miss ultimately just kind of outlasted them, but I just don't know. They're not bad. They're not good, but I don't know. Ole Miss is fine, uh, but whatever. Uh, number 11, Penn State beat Maryland 51 to 15. Number 13, Louisville beat Virginia Tech 34 to 3. Number 15, Notre Dame played at Clemson. Clemson beat them 31 to 20. Three. So Notre Dame now also has three losses. They're out of the picture. Oregon State played Colorado. Number 16, Oregon State played Colorado, beat them 26 to 19. Number 17, Tennessee beat UConn 59 to 3. Number 18, Utah took on Arizona State, beat them 55 to 3. Arizona, the University of Arizona, the Wildcats played number 19, UCLA, beat them 27 to 10. UCLA, three losses, adios. Number 21, Kansas played Iowa State, beat them 28-21. Number 24, Tulane beat East Carolina 13-10. And finally, one of the few undefeated teams remaining, number 25, Air Force, loses to Army 23-3. So, top 25 teams to take the L this weekend. Oh, and the game we skipped over the most. Always do this because I have them listed as a favorite on ESPN. So they're at the top of the leaderboard, they're at the top of the scoreboard, rather. And um, skipped over it. But number eight, Alabama played number 14, LSU. Alabama beats them 42 to 28. Alabama looked Pretty good. Pretty darn good. Uh, Jaden Daniels, the quarterback for LSU, is legit. Uh, he can run. He can throw. Got a great arm. Uh, he's going to go pretty high in the draft. He is incredibly talented, incredibly gifted. Took a big shot in the fourth quarter. Ultimately ended up missing the rest of the fourth quarter. Concussion protocol type stuff. Uh, but... Some of the stats from that game are pretty crazy. 
Alabama quarterback Jalen Milrow had four rushing touchdowns. Jane Daniels had 163 rushing yards. Quarterback had 163. But yeah, Alabama's defense bowed their necks in the second half, gave up seven points in two quarters. I mean, it's pretty good. Uh, 42-28. So, yeah, top, top 25 teams to take the L this week. Uh, number nine, Oklahoma, number 12, Missouri, number 14, LSU, uh, number 15, Notre Dame, number 19, UCLA, number 23, Kansas State, number 25, Air Force, a lot of top 25s fallen. So the college football playoff rankings Definitely going to be shaking up a little bit, kind of after 10. Uh, but the top 10 probably won't change much, minus Oklahoma. But yeah, I mean, Ole Miss will slide up to nine. It sounds like that'll probably be about it. Um, Yeah, so rankings aren't out yet, but that's college football. On to... The NFL. The NFL. The National Football League. As we check our volume here, make sure everything's okay. Moving on to the NFL. Uh, week nine. Yeah, week nine. Um, had some pretty cool games on the slate, like fun games to watch. Ended up, I think, being a little bit underwhelming, question mark. NFL Week 9. Germany. Sorry, I just had to get a little prime time in there. Shout out to, uh, pardon my take. I love when they do that NFL recap. Germany uh, opened up the day of games. Chiefs and Dolphins in Frankfurt. Chiefs beat the Dolphins 21 to 14. Dolphins have yet to beat a good football team ever. They haven't beaten a team with a record above 500 in like a year and a half. Dolphins, are they good? I don't know. Vikings beat the Falcons 31 28. We'll get to that. Uh, Browns killed the Cardinals 27-0. Packers beat the Rams 20-3. Commanders beat the Pats 20-17. Saints beat the Bears 24-17. Uh, Tays uh, yeah, Taysom Hill scored a bunch of touchdowns in that game. Ravens beat the Seahawks 37-3. 37-3. Texans beat the Bucks 39-37. Colts beat the Panthers 27-13. Raiders beat the Giants 30-6. And the Eagles beat the Cowboys 28-23. Thursday night, Steelers uh, beat the Titans 20-16, but that was kind of a meh game. And then uh, just now on Sunday night, the Bengals topped the Bills 24-18. Pretty decent game, uh, but yeah, also just a little bit of a punting fest there in the middle parts of that game, but it is what it is. Um, Storylines from the NFL. We're, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this because there was a few blowouts. There was some kind of crummy games, um, but there's definitely some things to address, so. Number one, and we'll start with the Sunday night game. Bengals beat the Bills 24-18. As we stand halfway through the NFL season, and the way things have gone, you give me one quarterback, in one game right now in 2023 NFL one QB pick him 
You need him at quarterback to win you one football game. I am not picking Patrick Mahomes. I'm not picking Jalen Hurts. I'm not picking Lamar Jackson. I'm not picking Tua. I'm not picking Josh Allen. I'm taking Joe Burrow. Slow starts, sure. Underperforming, sure. No else he's had, especially this year, but in years past, he's had some injuries. A healthy Joe Burrow in November, December, January, or February, I don't think there's anybody better as an option. And historically speaking, his performances in the playoffs at, up to this point in his career have been amazing. His performances in primetime games, unbelievable. His performances against talented, above 500 teams, amazing. Not to mention, he's probably the best leader of the group of all the quarterbacks I just let, uh, just listed off. Jalen Hurts might be a little better, but I don't even think Jalen Hurts is the best player on the offensive unit he plays on. He's a phenomenal player, but Joe Burrow is the oil in the Bengals machine. Now, obviously, you can say that about a lot of quarterbacks. But his distribution, his leadership, his poise, his execution, his decision-making, second to none. Second to none, especially when it gets in the later parts of the season. He's proven it time and time and time again. It's cool, calm, and collected. Finds the guys open, makes throws. It doesn't throw stupid balls, doesn't throw into double coverage, doesn't have a single throw that isn't thrown with a purpose, with intent. Leads players down the field, finds the open guys, picks apart the defenses. Oh, um, and he wins a lot. And when he plays Kansas City, he beats them. He's lost a couple times to Kansas City, sure. But he's also beaten Patrick Mahomes. He's beaten Josh Allen. He's beaten to it. Like, he's second to none. I'm taking Joe Burrow over any of those other quarterbacks I listed. Right now, today, life on the line, pick one quarterback to win a game for you. It's Joe Burrow. It's Joe Burrow. Has to be. Uh, the other storylines, man, here, Vikings and Falcons. Vikings beat the Falcons 31-28. I'm not going to dog on the Falcons too hard, but just like throughout the year, because I have like Bijan Robinson on my fantasy team. I've bet on the Falcons a few times. Uh, they've played a primetime game or two, maybe, have they? I, I, I don't know. Um, but... The play calling historically is some of the worst I've ever seen. I mean, it's, 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 it's horrible. Horrendous. Falcons are the worst four and five team I've ever seen in my entire life. They're completely fraudulent. Arthur Smith is a horrible head coach. And it's not his fault because the players he has aren't great, but he doesn't utilize them to their maximum potential. Why is Kyle Pitts a non-factor every game? Why is B. John Robinson getting fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer touches every week? Why? Why? Why did Desmond Ritter play for five games? He's not good. It's insane. Uh, the other story is the Vikings winning. Had no business winning this game. They started uh, quarterback Jaron Allen or something. Um, let me see. Box score. Do, do, do. Jared Hall, rather. Jared Allen's the old, uh, <laughs> the old defensive player for the Vikings. Uh, Jaron Hall had uh, played like parts of the first and second quarter. Got hurt with concussion. 
hoping the best for that guy. Uh, got a chance to play in the NFL and then gets hurt. Yikes. But they bring in Josh Dobbs. We're not going to spend a ton of time talking about Josh Dobbs, but if if every player, if every quarterback, if every member of a team had the same attitude, mindset, dedication, and just straight up will that Josh Dobbs has, that team would never lose. Josh Dobbs, dog, monster, stud, legend. Is he the best quarterback even on the field most of the time? Nope. No, he isn't. But you know what else he is? He's a competitor. He's a grinder. He's a gamer. He puts his body on the line. He's getting told the plays in his quarterback helmet by Kevin O'Connell, the head coach of the Vikings. And it's like, hey, Josh, it's, uh, you know, Z flat, slant, you know, whatever he's running through. Double turbo, all this stuff. Hey, Josh, so we're going to have two guys running a post on the left side. Your tight end's going to be running a drag. This is an RPO. And then the headphones would cut off because you can't cut off at 15 seconds. He's being told what the plays are because he joined the team four days ago. And he still goes out and wills their team to victory. If you're a parent of a child, parent of a football fan, you yourself are a sports fan, you're telling or teaching people how they should act, what they should model their attitude and their game after. It's Josh Dobbs. Sounds crazy. You're going to, Oh, Josh Dobbs. He's terrible. He's whatever. He might not be very good. He usually isn't the best of the two quarterbacks in the game he plays in. But he also puts his life on the line almost every play. Takes massive hits. Dives for extra yardage. Makes smart decisions. Takes care of the football. And also, he's always ready to go. And he doesn't complain. Oh my gosh, I'm on the Tennessee Titans. I got to play in a crucial game. Idiot head coach who has no idea what to call for a quarterback like me. Right? He's been on five teams in the last calendar year. Guess what? His his turn to play. His spot on the depth chart comes up. He's ready to go. No complaints. No bad attitudes. No turnovers. Diving for extra yards. That's a guy. It's a guy I honestly would love to play for. If I'm being honest with you, I'd love to play for him. I'd rather play for him than a lot of guys in the NFL. A lot of other quarterbacks that got drafted way higher, that have gotten paid way more money. Dobbs, dog. Legend. Uh, last thing to talk about here. Well, two things. First of all, Eagles beat the Cowboys. Check that box score. So Eagles win again, 8-1, 28-23 to over the Cowboys. Uh, which quarterback had more passing yards? Dak. Uh, which running back had the most rushing yards? Tony Pollard. Which receiver had the most receiving yards? CeeDee Lamb. Uh, which team had more turnovers forced? Dallas. Who won the game? The Eagles. You know why? Eagles find a way to win. And this year, probably more than ever, Finding a way to win might be the most valuable thing you have. It's not putting up big, big video game numbers and then expecting wins to come. Anybody can beat anybody, especially this year in the NFL. And as flashy and talented as all the star players are, the Dallas Cowboys, as good as those guys are, no disrespect, but they just don't win when it matters. And the Eagles always do, always do. I mean, look at the team stats. Total yards, 
Cowboys had a hundred, a hundred and fourteen more total yards than the Eagles. Eagles win. Dallas had 27 first downs. Eagles had 20. Eagles win. Guess what? Find a way to win. Find a way to win football games. Execute and play well when it matters most. That's the Eagles in a nutshell. Grinding, battling, line of scrimmage, ball control. Take care of the rock. Don't get discouraged. Stand up when it matters. That's the Eagles. Eight and one. I love it. I love it, man. Last thing to talk about. How about CJ Shroud? 470 passing yards and five touchdowns. 45 seconds on the clock. Needs to go 80 yards down the field with two timeouts. Does it. It's still too early to say CJ Stroud is better than Bryce Young. Situations and circumstances themselves are so different. It's not even close. So different. Panthers as a franchise are as bottom of the barrel as it comes at the moment. Texans a little bit more designed for sustained success. Great head coaching hire. Defensive presence has always been there. Offensive weapons are available for him. And the protection of CJ Shroud from the offensive line is at a much higher level than the Panthers have for Bryce Young. That being said, CJ Stroud, top 10 quarterback in the league right now today. I heard RG3 say it, couldn't agree more. I would take CJ Stroud over Kenny Pickett, Will Levis, Zach Wilson, Taylor Heineke, Deshaun Watson, Jordan Love, Matthew Stafford, Sam Howell, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Derek Carr, Geno Smith, Baker Mayfield, Anthony Richardson. Bryce Young, Daniel Jones, Jimmy Garoppolo, Dak. So that leaves about five guys left. Five, six, seven, eight guys above him, potentially. So he's top 10. Watch him throw the ball, by the way. Woo! Guy roasts footballs down the field. Balls are probably literally sizzling. As they get launched down the field. The guy's a monster, dude. CJ Shroud? Holy cow. Guy's an animal. He is so good. I didn't think he would be this good. I mean, no disrespect. I didn't think he'd be bad. I didn't think he'd be a top 10 quarterback eight games of his first year. Bruh. That's wild. But then you watch him play. Paul pocket presence, great arm action, quick release, smart decision making. Accurate as hell. Great touch. Poised. Monster, dude. Monster. Good for him. Holy cow. Um, yeah. Anyways, guys, that's it. I yeah, I mean, I said that's gonna do it. Uh episode 71. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh tomorrow night on Monday night football. Chargers at the Jets. It's funny. The Jets are four and three. Uh, Chargers are three and four.
haven't given out my play of the day yet. I'm going to look at the um, some of the player props and things like that. This past week, we gave out Derrick Henry over 71 and a half on Thursday night. That hit. Gave out Ole Miss minus three. That was a push because they won by three on the nose, which is crazy that the books can do that. But yeah, Chargers, Jets, Chargers minus three and a half. Over under is 39 and a half, which is super low. But I could also see it happening. Either way. Little Herbert, Zach Wilson action. Week nine, minus one game in the books. Week 10, college football in the books. Getting down to it, guys. We're right. We're in November. I mean, we're we're in it. We are in it. So hopefully you guys enjoyed. Uh, yeah, episode 71. We know ball podcast. My name is Ryan at Ryan knows ball on Twitter at we know ball sports on Instagram and TikTok. Listeners on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Super appreciative. Check us out on YouTube. Also, I've always forget to mention YouTube. Check us out on YouTube uh, for some of the clips from this show, some of the clips from We Know Baseball, some reaction videos, breakdowns, anything you can want, anything you can need. It's there. So either way, hopefully you guys enjoyed. We'll catch you guys on Thursday. Jump.